Welcome to The Jewish Diasporist, a podcast focusing on the political, social, and cultural implications of life in diaspora. I'm Zach Smerin. And I'm Ben Yenowitz. This week we sat down with Ellie Olterstorff, an activist and organizer for Achva Amim. Achva Amim, like the Center for Jewish Nonviolence, is an important connector between Jews around the world and the reality on the ground in Israel-Palestine from an educationalist and left-wing perspective. We also briefly talked about the question of accessibility for programs like Achvat Amim, as well as its connections with Hashomer Hatzair and the wider socialist Zionist movement. There are many historical tensions between socialist Zionism and diasporism, but there are also some unexplored compatibilities which can help us reimagine the place of Israel-Palestine within the Jewish world. Thank you, Ellie, and thank you to all of our listeners. We think that this is a great conversation and we hope that you enjoy. really wonderful to finally sit down with you. It's been a little while. We met in Palestine in May when I was there. You're doing some really cool work. You've been with Akfa Amin, which we were wondering if you could say a little bit about, as well as how you got to working with Akfa Amin. Absolutely. So Akhbar Amim, first of all, important to know, it translates to Solidarity of Nations. It's been around for 10 years, and in short, what it's trying to do is connect diaspora Jewry around the world with the anti-occupation movement on the ground in Israel-Palestine, like with Israeli and Palestinian activists doing the anti-occupation work. And I am an alumni of the five-month program, which is like the oldest program in Akhva that's still running. And I did that about five years ago and kind of have been part of this really wonderful community ever since. What is your role within the organization? I'm currently the outreach director. So I'm kind of like the first line of communication, whether people want to know what Akhbaramim is, and also interview candidates coming in for programming. And I get to, you know, meet a lot of cool other activists and connect. And a lot of the job is really just doing what Akhba is trying to do, which is like build movement solidarity across all these different places and platforms and different activism, but with shared values. So that's why I'm talking to you right now. Yeah, amazing. It was wonderful to meet you when I was there. We met at this roadblock action that was on Jerusalem Day, which I found really impactful. It was the only action I've done like that, where we were physically putting ourselves between the settlers that were coming in to march on Jerusalem Day. And I found that really impactful and you could really see that that sort of action got a lot of support. We got coverage in the news and I saw so many people seeing that and being like, wow, look at these people who are actually standing up to this. And it was all Jews that were doing this. It was very intentional because Palestinians joining us could have faced much harsher repercussions for doing an action like that. So I was kind of wondering, because a lot of people on the left, they look at engaging with Israel-Palestine and they say, oh, we're against Zionism. So if you're doing anything remotely similar to Zionism, that's bad. It really flattens the nuance in the politics around how we might relate to Israel-Palestine. You are not born in Israel-Palestine. I believe you were born in San Diego. I was wondering if you could say a little bit about your choice to move to Israel-Palestine and what that kind of looks like and meant to you in the moment. Yeah, um, that's a really great question. I mean, being here feels like 
a complicated thing in many ways every day, but complicated doesn't always mean bad. I think what I learned from doing Akhvaramim as a program five years ago is that relationships are really the foundation to anything that's going to sustain in terms of change, in terms of like fighting against very, very powerful and entrenched systems of injustice. You don't have so, so much to work with. You have like a lot working against you if you want to organize against these systems. But something that you can do is build really strong relationships that are going to maintain for years where people feel accountable to each other, where there's like reciprocity. So that's what landed me here. It was relationships. Like, there are complicated parts about being here. I will say I chose not to make Aliyah. I'm, like, currently pursuing other routes of visa. And that's not to say that every Jewish activist who comes here and uses that as a way to make sure that they're not <laughs> deported for activism or make sure they're able to financially be here doing the work. That's not to say that I look down on that at all. But personally, I was able to make this choice and. I feel like it's kind of representative of the complexity of me being here. I'm very aware that I'm coming into a place where, despite not being Israeli, my Jewishness puts me on the winning side of a power dynamic that I am completely against. And you, you can't avoid that being here. But what I learned from Akva is that it's worth it to wade in. Even if you make the mistakes along the way, even if you learn that the way you engaged with something needs correction, better to wade in and engage with it, meet new people, than to say this whole thing is too much and I, I can't approach it. So somehow I ended up here and the relationships are what keep me going 100%, all the activists around me. Yeah, that really actually sounds similar to what David Adler said, the general coordinator of the Progressive International, when he made the same point that essentially all politics are relationship-based. Honestly, I think that's really obscured in a lot of ways where people engage in electoral politics and kind of just treat it like commodities of like, oh, am I voting for the blue party or the red party or the green party or the yellow party? And it's like, well, it's actually more complicated than that. And you lose focus on even policy. It becomes just a matter of personality and buying and selling different parties and aligning with them. And it's like, that's not the point. The point is actually being landed and grounded where you are and in community with people. And I think that's so important because we're in a time where it's so hard to be in any form of community that it's almost radical just to intentionally be with each other. And I was very curious, you mentioned the, the Jewishness of yourself and your community. What does the Jewishness look like in practice to Akhla Amin and the community you have? I think it looks as like wide and diverse as the Jewish community itself. Like we have people coming in from so many different places. One, we have people coming in who aren't Jewish. It's less common because built into our program, we're open that like part of the program has to do with understanding how we can bring our background in Judaism to our understandings of like liberation and what that could mean. So that's built into the program. But we have like the whole spectrum from non-Jewish people coming on the program to people who were raised culturally Jewish, but have never encountered religious Jewish spaces in their life, people who it's their first time ever in the land, people who were brought up Chabad, people who were brought up modern Orthodox, Reform, like, you really get the whole spectrum of options, 
which I think is a huge strength to the program. I think similarly to like what you said, where community can be in short supply nowadays, like we're in late stage capitalism, we're COVID, we're within a lot of systems of social media, which like aren't actually intended to help connect us, they're intended to profit off of us. And similarly, I think there's like kind of a crisis of community and it's related to a crisis of identity. And I think it can be really healing when people are like, what does it mean to be Jewish? To come together and be like, actually, you don't need to find one answer to that. Like community is sometimes the answer to that question. Like you don't need to delve inward, inward, inward. You can like meet other people who grew up the same as you or very different and like find a lot of common ground and like learn a lot of new things. And it's really crazy and cool to see how that's different every single cohort. My job will never be boring (laughs) because of that. Definitely. I think that's really beautiful just to have that sort of, what's the term? cross-denominational or even post-denominational Judaism. I think there's kind of a shift towards that where we've all kind of been like raised in our own types of Jewish communities and then we're like coming out of that and recognizing, well, Judaism means something different to every single person. At the same time, we can kind of recognize that we all share this same Jewishness and that can look like many different things. And it's kind of beautiful that we can embrace that diversity because it's very hard to do that often. And especially in a place like Britain where they tend to have a lot more Orthodox Jews and therefore you kind of cater to the highest common denominator in terms of halachic practices. And it's like, well, that kind of alienates some people who might not identify with that. So it's interesting and difficult to kind of set a communal culture in a way that can embrace that diversity without any level of shame or exclusion. And I'm sure that's a difficult thing to do in practice. Do you have any other things you might want to say about what that looks like? Well, I'll definitely say that pretty much every cohort has a Shabbat culture which is like a manifestation of like the different personalities, different backgrounds like coming in. And that's sort of like an exciting symbolic way to like see that moment happening. Because we always say like, we're not camp counselors at the end of the day. We're facilitators and we're like here for people, but the apartment is their apartment for this five month residential program. They're living together communally. And we certainly don't mandate any Shabbat culture, but I have yet to see a cohort that doesn't create something that's like specific to their cohort. Maybe, you know, I've worked in this job a year now and I did the five month immersive five years ago, like I said, it's maybe just because I've only worked here a year, but I've yet to see serious conflict come up around different backgrounds with Judaism. Though, I will say I've seen some like remarkable moments of healing with people who have felt like, well, my Jewish community that I grew up with didn't align with my values. So now I don't know what to do with this thing called Jewishness or Judaism. And then like find their way into it in their own way. And that's a very, very sweet thing to see. That being said, it's not uncomplicated. Like people are being exposed sometimes for the first time to Jewish supremacy. Which is something where if you haven't been exposed to Jewish supremacy, like in front of your eyes and in the sort of like air around you in Israel-Palestine, if you're a diaspora Jew, I think it's actually really hard to conceptualize and internalize that until you're exposed to it. And so people tend to go through a pretty intense process of reckoning of like, what does that mean? Like I'm seeing something that calls itself Judaism that really goes against everything I understand it to be. Like, what do I do with that? And there's no easy answer to that. And we don't try to give an easy answer, but all we can offer is a space for people to process it together. 
Yeah, that's a really important thing to have. I've been through that exact same process when you go there and you witness the hierarchy where Jews are put on top and you're like, wait a minute, this is completely antithetical to my understanding of Judaism where we always identify with the oppressed because of our history, because of the stories we're told going back to we were slaves in Egypt. That's something that is really ingrained in Judaism as I understand it. And then you have it flipped on its head and you're like, wait a minute, what do we do with this? You mentioned Jewish supremacy, and before we move on to the bigger picture, I really wanted to just hear a little bit about what does it mean to be in a place of Jewish supremacy, and like what sort of work does Akhva Amin do to challenge that on the ground? Yeah, one thing I want to say off the bat is we do not put people in a place to be exposed to violence or arrestable actions or things like that. We're certainly not opposed to civil disobedience as a tactic, and that's something that people can do after programming or aware that we're like bringing people in (laughs) on visas that we're also responsible for people while they're here, even though these are adults coming onto programming, like we still are bringing them into a space and we're responsible for their safety and well-being. That being said, a big part of Achvaramim and like the ethos is the work placement part. And what that looks like is for three days out of the week, this is during the five-month immersive, you are volunteering or doing solidarity work. Oftentimes people do it with um, two placements just because not every organization needs three solid days of work from a volunteer like full-time. But it really is like a spectrum of different types of work you can do. So to give an example, when I was on Achvaramim, I worked at the Hand in Hand School, which was like one of the few integrated interfaith school systems in Israel. There really are not a lot of school systems like that. And the goal and dream of the school is really like, let's try and build a microcosm on some level of maybe what could be integrated and more free and equal one day. And then my other placement was going to the Jordan Valley and doing protective presence with Palestinian shepherds in the Jordan Valley who are constantly encroached on in their own land by military and by settlers and new outposts, hilltop youth. So it was like a very (laughs) different types of work, but both within the realm of imagining this to be a better place and directly trying to confront on the ground really unjust things that are happening in real time. So that just gives you a sense, but there's many different types of placements that you can do, and some of them are more on the ground direct work, working in community centers in East Jerusalem, you know, working at schools like Hand in Hand, working with Rabbis for Human Rights, where they do their olive harvest, and they do different campaigns for freedom within the West Bank, and just fighting against unjust policies. But what we're really trying to do with this spectrum of work is show people Being involved doesn't look like one thing. It doesn't have to look like holding a sign and a megaphone. It totally can, and that's incredible. But we want to encourage people to remember that they can build their lives and be active without it looking like one thing. You need to bring yourself into any kind of movement for it to be sustainable. If I may ask, so you said that these are five-month volunteer organized trips. Is that the right word to use? Program. Yeah, it's like we call it we call it like an immersive so that people coming in are aware that it's going to be a full-time ordeal that they're getting themselves into. Right. So it's a 5-month immersive and with a lot of these programs, especially ones that can go on for months, they can be quite expensive, right? And what's the cost like for the program? Yeah. So 
The cost for the full five months program is currently ten thousand U.S. dollars, and we basically do everything in our power to bring that number. That number, by the way, is just kind of covering costs of the program itself and staff salary. It's not covering so much more than that because five months of rent and language classes and transportation and food and it really covers completely living in this place and getting education and being in this program. But at the same time, we're aware it's ten thousand dollars and five months of not working is no small thing. We try and bring down that cost as much as we can per participant. Obviously, there are some participants that come in and they're able to cover it. They have the means, and that's wonderful. But we're constantly trying to expand our scholarship pool, and we have a lot of grants that we apply for every year, and scholarship agreements with different placements that are willing to help subsidize the cost in order to have someone. Volunteer multiple days a week at their organization for five months. So we have these different options to basically try and bring down that cost as much as possible. But it's a priority for the organization because we're aware that if this cost was a lot lower, we would definitely be getting more people. Even though when I get people in the door, I'm able to explain to them that we can bring it down. But if it was already lower, we'd be in a better spot. And that would also change the kind of people that were able to qualify for these programs, right? Because if you were able to produce ten thousand bucks out of your back pocket, that's not something that is in everybody's range. I would say the majority of people don't and can't. The demographic would change if it were cheaper, but the demographic now even includes a lot of people who wouldn't be able to afford ten thousand because we find grants and we find donors and we find ways to really try and get as many people on programming who want to go every cohort. And one of your donors is Hashomer Hatzair. Is that correct? No, Hashomer Hatzair is like the umbrella organization that holds our logistical things like finances and. Helps us get visas, and also we have a strong partnership with them. The people who founded Achvadamim came from the Hashomer Hatzair Canada background. A lot of staff over the years came from Hashomer. Different participants found out about the program and came in through Hashomer Hatzair. So it's a strong partnership, but it's not a donor partnership. We're independent organization that sits under them as sort of like an umbrella organization. And then outside of that, they're also interested in movement building, and a lot of the youth of Hashomer Hatzair is specifically interested in organizing against occupation and apartheid. So that's very interesting to me because I have had limited connections with different socialist Zionist organizations over the last few years. I mean, certainly if you look at the situation in the United Kingdom with the Jewish labor movement.、Um, I'll just leave it at that. But I can talk a little bit in detail about the Hashomer Hatzair in Austria. Because I've met quite a few people from there, and it's a very, very surreal experience for British listeners. I would explain it more or less if you had people that had the economic policies of Jeremy Corbyn, but were even more pro-Israel officially than the most right-wing elements of JLM, at least in their aesthetics, and sort of any rejection of openly working, or with a very, very strong embrace of, for example, use of the Israeli flag. Or any sort of complete opposition to BDS, or any sort of solidarity work with Palestinians and specific demands against the Israeli state. 
And so it's interesting to me to see that an organization that has those kinds of tendencies would be one that you would work underneath. It's very interesting to think about today how the analyses of socialist Zionism and the theoretical writings of people like Berberchov are relevant towards Jewish communities and diaspora today. Because as someone who's very interested in thinking about adapting ideas of the Jewish labor bund to the current diaspora context, we have a much more limited understanding of how socialist Zionist thinkers of the early 20th century. It's a much more different analysis towards diaspora life. So anyway, how do you experience these tensions between Hashomer and Achvat Amim? Interestingly, especially with the younger generation of Hashomer, I would say not at all. Even in my time working at Achvat, we've had people come through programming who come from like Hashomer, Hatzair, Latin America. And this summer I got to give a tour. It was some people's first time going into the occupied territories to a group of Italians from Hashomer, Hatzair, who are all like my age, who are like in this sort of like counselor stage of their time. And they were incredibly, incredibly eager to like learn about communities in the South Hebron Hills, what is happening, why are they facing all these demolition orders constantly, why is the settlement expanding, what is going on, and they, you know, had a lot of knowledge themselves as well. But they had a lot of openness and just a lot of interest in like, how do we bring this to youth who are looking to us now as leaders. And it's interesting because through them, I hear about, ah, well, we face pushback maybe from like higher up, like here and here, like we were supposed to have a day to talk to this Palestinian from 48 Israel. And then that got cut when we had teenagers come over the summer. So I've like more heard of opposition, but Hashomer through the years has been, through our contacts in the world movement, supportive of Akvat, helped Akvat get through difficult times, you know, during pandemic, when that's a difficult time for all programs. And yeah, it's a very big and old organization, so I'm sure like the span of politics is like quite wide, but because I think I'm interacting with the younger generation more, who in general tends to be more aligned around being critical of states in general, but especially the policies that are happening in Israel. From my perspective, it's like an easy allyship in a way. But that's just, I think, from the, all the people that I've interfaced with personally, which holds again to like movement building is all about relationships. And certainly there's been some tensions growing in the United States within Habonim Dror. There was a loud story published by Jewish Currents, I think it was about two years ago, about the tensions again between the youth and questioning the dogma of ideological Zionism within these Zionist youth movements. And certainly something to consider in communities where there are already possibilities for having these organisations not necessarily requiring something to be set up from scratch in direct competition, and whether or not it's more worthwhile to be engaged within already existing structures. You mentioned very quickly the collective life and the apartment that you're able to get people to live in together. If it flashed before me that, is this something that is done intentionally? Because when I think collective life in Israel together, I think, okay, kibbutz, uh, the Zionism is the idea that works behind it. Are there explicitly elements of the program within Achvat Amim that are connected with the economic aspects of life in Israel-Palestine? Are you involved with any sort of causes relating to maybe the labour movement and how, how does that tie into it? Is it something that just sits in the background and the main area remains still, you know, Israeli-Palestinian relations? Which way around do you think that it is taking place? That's a good question. I think at the forefront is the fight against occupation and apartheid and how can we build this movement and how can we make it as strong and 
diverse and sustainable as possible. But you can feel in this program that it came from people in Hashomer Hatzair. We do talk about how economics factored so strongly into the building of more settlements into the West Bank as settlers. It is a part of our education. And yeah, the communal life and democratic style living and their money is pooled together and they decide what to do with it together. Like this is completely because the founders of the movement, Karen and Daniel, came from a Hashomer background. I almost feel like to them that was like, well, of course, any program that we do that brings people together is going to be based on certain ideas of communal and democratic and sort of more socialist lifestyle. So I would say it's more part of the ethos without being like the main focus of the program. But I think it is incredibly important to people's experience in the program to live like that. Part of it is this idea we want to create some semblance of a microcosm. If you can create solid community that is values-based, that is willing to like act upon those values on a small scale, can we bring that out on a larger scale? Past just your cohort and then to the whole group of alumni and then past that and onwards. That's really the, the vision. I know you have to go in a little bit, but I had one more question and that kind of comes out of the research I've been doing. I just finished up a dissertation that was really about the roots of a socialist diasporism and looking at that through like the 1880s, the 1920s, which are also considered the formative period of modern Zionism. One of the things I learned was essentially looking at the roots of socialist Zionism. Ber Borochov, as Zach mentioned, and the Poetetzion, the first socialist Zionist party. I was kind of using a, rather than a Zionist, anti-Zionist paradigm, I was using a diasporist, anti-diasporist paradigm. And one of the things I found is that prior to 1920, really, Poetetzion and socialist Zionism outside Israel-Palestine wasn't anti-diasporist. They really were seeing Israel-Palestine as another place in the diaspora that they wanted to develop and make a spiritual center of Jewish life while not negating any aspect of the diaspora and really just having it be a new part or a restored part rather than something that's replacing anything at all. But you also have on the ground in Israel-Palestine, there was a really great forwards article about this actually just a couple days ago that was essentially about how Yiddish became a foreign language in Israel-Palestine, essentially making the point that there was a very strong anti-diasporous tendency going back to especially the early 1920s, but also before that. So I was kind of wondering, how does your organization situate Israel-Palestine within diaspora politics? Also, what might it look like to be a diaspora Jew rather than a Zionist Jew in Israel-Palestine? And how do you relate to that within your organization and programming? That's an incredible question. Kind of gets to the crux, I think, of like many things that Akba is trying to address by existing as a community. I think this is maybe something I should have started with, but the phrase that we investigate throughout Akba and that is kind of like the ethos that holds the program together is self-determination for all people in the place they call home. And we do not define on purpose what do we mean by home slash homeland, what do we mean by people or peoplehood, and what do we mean by self-determination or freedom, we also call it. And a lot of what we delve into as like a community and through education is like, what does homeland mean and when did it become nation state? 
because that paradigm is not ancient at all. And we live in a time now where that is assumed. And when you hear self-determination, that is like the language of nation state. So does it have to mean that? And I think what both Karen and Daniel, the founders, recognize, and that we continue to try and bring back into the space is there's an incredible wisdom in diaspora. To be able to hold community and peoplehood without tyranny, without aspiring to tyranny or domination, is in an incredible philosophy. And it's not to be so simple to just romanticize it. As Jews, we understand that you can't simply romanticize diaspora. There are a lot of moments of, of serious violence and displacement and dispossession that are really linked to the story of diaspora. But you don't want to do the other thing either. You don't want to do what the state of Israel essentially did and said, diasporism is weak and there's nothing we can learn from that mindset. The best we can do is cast it away, get rid of Yiddish, get rid of anything that makes us look like anything other than a European nation state that is strong and will not be messed with, and cast away those memories. In Akhvat, we're constantly there to remind people throughout our education that there is real strength to a diasporic people that was able to exist in that state and make community and strength in that state for thousands of years. So it's a great question and one that I hope people are asking more in the decades to come because these paradigms that we like take as water around us are so new. <laughs> they aren't the only solutions we have to turn to. I absolutely agree 100% with what you just said. I think that's so important. And as well, thinking about how that diasporic peoplehood can be embraced in a place like Israel-Palestine, I think is another big question. And I don't know how much time you still have. What does it actually mean in practice to be on the ground? How do you navigate those complexities of trying to be part of a Jewish diaspora rather than part of a Jewish nation state while in a place that is a Jewish nation state that is actively denying that same right to self-determination to Palestinians? What does that look like on the ground in your programming and the way you guys try to live and be in this place? I think for me it's easier than most people because I'm surrounded by a diaspora community constantly, like both people who have stayed here to do work and people who are coming in and wanting to understand their place in this movement, and many of whom immediately leave after being here for five months. So I feel like a constant and strong thread to diaspora, and also I'm not so convinced that being Israeli sheds you of that diaspora. Like, that is the history of the Jewish people. So even this idea that Israelis are not diaspora, and there are chasms between experience there, like on both ends where people aren't seeing each other fully, but at the same time, I really do believe that this is the history of our people. So Israelis also have the deep connection to diaspora, whether or not like the dominant culture would like to acknowledge that. Yeah, I suppose I just want to reframe it in a little bit different way, actually, perhaps. I don't know if there is an easy answer to this at all, but how can you be in a place that is a Jewish colonial project as a Jew, but not be complicit in the colonial project, but actively trying to subvert the ongoing processes of colonialism? You're 100% complicit. If like your motivation is to avoid complicity, I would say it's like not a good use of your energy. I also don't see some like huge moral superiority that I have to other people who live here 
for, you know, reasons beyond their choice. I did not flee to come here. I came here of my own volition, in my own time. Many people who are here, that's not their story. And this is true of many, like, settler colonial projects in general, so it's not an exception. But no, I think that's something that you have to reckon with in a practical way. And I don't think it means being so confident as to be able to say, well, I know that my activism is offsetting the complicity of being here. I don't always know that. I think it's an important question to hold without letting it derail your activism, but like one to come back to. And I think that if we ever stopped asking that question, we would be in a problematic place. Yeah, and I think you're right. It's not something that's so black and white. And I also think there's something that a lot of people that hold anti-colonial politics kind of forget is that like the U.S. is also a settler colonial project. And it's not like one is worse just because one is in a younger stage. It's just it's in a younger stage. It's the same processes that have been ongoing in the United States. And I think the same question could be asked by every, especially white American, like, how can we be here without being complicit in the colonial systems? Because they're still going on. And I think that there is something to be learned from the experience of being in Israel-Palestine as a Jew, because it's like, we have to leverage this privilege. I think it really raises a lot of questions about how we can relate to the concept of privilege in a way that isn't just like, oh, I should feel bad about being privileged, but like, how can I actually use this privilege to actually undermine the system that gives me the privilege in the first place. And I think that's a big question that I hope people wrestle with, and it's not something that's easy at all. There's no easy answers. Big questions that, frankly, people have been thinking about in various forms for decades, if not centuries. And I would argue that it's something you should be thinking about in community. It is kind of pointless to get to a place of like, okay, I accept I am an oppressor in myself. So what? Like, what is that doing for anyone? Not that your value has to be in what you do, but that's part of what community answers. It's not that your value is in only what you do or who you are, or what your background is, but to build something better together, it's a worthy thing to attempt, even if you can't know for certain along the way how successful it's going to be. Yeah, and that goes back to the thing we started with in terms of relationships. You can't do anything on your own. Like, as much as capitalism and the atomization of the individual tries to tell us that it's all on you, it's, it's not. It's all about community and building power and trying to come together for so many different reasons, in part to actually make change collectively. Because as much as the history books that are written in ways that are problematic like to give out, it's not individuals that really make history. It's collectives, it's large groups of people acting together for the betterment of society, or the worse, of course, but <laughs> we're worried about how we make things better. Completely agree. And I think it's really important to highlight the possibility of that kind of Jewish engagement within the land of Israel or between the river and the sea, however we would like to describe it, and fight against, first of all, the annoying anti-Zionist Israeli tendency of being born in Israel to a secular Ashkenazi family, then feeling really guilty about the Israeli colonialism, and then leaving to the diaspora, and then colonizing here all of the discourse around Israel and any sort of positive Jewish identity that might come across from that. If we are thinking about a rights-based approach to equality between the river and the sea, then there needs to be some kind of movement on the Jewish side 
It is able to say that you can create positive Jewish culture and community in this space to provide a positive alternative for what exists right now. And there's a lot of stuff that can be done in that direction. You can think about, for example, challenging the idea of a single global Jewish national identity that erases a lot of the different ethnic and cultural and linguistic divides that make Jewish life for all of these communities much more diverse, or could make much more diverse. There are some elements of that that already exist in Israel when it comes to, for example, Yiddish. But there's so much more that could be done and there's so much more that could help and that could be rediscovered if there were the opportunities for it and if there were movements that were actively advocating I for it. I probably that. have to hop off, but it's been really exciting to talk about this stuff. It really does just mean a lot to know that this is like a shared value that many people are trying to build. That's the exciting part about Diaspora too. It is global. We're talking about tikkun adam and tikkun alam, you know? These are some core tenets of Akva. You do the work as an individual, but you do it in community, and you try and make some repair happen. It's the best you can do. Amen. Thank you very much for talking. It was very interesting to speak with you. Thank you so much, Ellie. It's been really lovely chatting with you. Thanks for the opportunity. See
say